several weeks ago when I told you that we were transitioning uh, from this place, I told you the Lord dropped a scripture in my spirit. And let me just review it with you right quick. The Lord, our God, said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Shout, you've stayed long enough. Break camp and advance. Shout, advance into the hill. And then he, he casts vision for where he wants them to advance. Into the hill country, the Amorites, go to all the neighboring people in Arab, in mountains, in the western foothills, in Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. Shout amen. amen. And I told you that it was clear to me that when the Lord when we got this word, we need to transition, that God is actually pushing us, uh, essentially saying, you've been here long enough, you've established your identity, it's now time to advance. Come on, shout advance again. Which means that we're not just simply changing locations. The goal here is to actually take a step towards, uh, the next step towards the fulfillment of our vision. I uh, uh, pastor Tina told me the other day that we have people who drive as far as Hollister and uh, Hercules and Walnut Creek uh, and Morgan Hill. And today after the 10 a.m. gathering, I met somebody who said, a couple, a family, who said that they have been driving for the last three weeks from Pittsburgh up by Antioch to worship with us. Can we just give God a hand praise? Huh? And, and, and one of the things that that says about NBCC is that God is doing something really unique with this congregation, bringing people across race and class and political divides, people who, can't even, who normally wouldn't talk to each other out there are sharing the same pew, the same small group. Uh, and connected by the blood of Jesus in here. Isn't that amazing? Come on, let's celebrate that. Praise God. And so, uh, uh, when we think about our vision, there are tens and tens of thousands of people, 90%, I'm told, of folk uh, throughout the Bay Area that have not, many have not even heard of the uh, 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 extravagant generosity of God's love and power through Jesus Christ. And we're committed to reaching tens and tens of thousands, 30,000 folk. We've said that we want to raise up a community. And not just in one place. Tell, you, tell the next person, person next to you, not just in one place. We've got folk who are up on the upper part of the peninsula in San Francisco, San Mateo, uh, Burlingame area. We, 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 we look to the day we'll have a campus uh, there. We've got folk in Central uh, Peninsula uh, that... Uh, East Palo Alto, Palo Alto, Menlo Park, East Menlo Park, Mountain View, Sunnyvale, Los Altos, Los Gatos. We look, Los Gatos, we look forward to establishing a campus there. We, we've got folk coming from uh, Santa Clara and tons of people coming from San Jose. We look forward to establishing camp, campus there. Uh, on the East Bay, uh, where there is Fremont and Oakland and Newark and all that, we look forward to establishing a campus there. And so we see this next step as an advancement in this direction. So are you ready to hear? Yes. All right, throw it up on the screen. We're moving to Redwood City, an amazing synagogue in Redwood City, praise God. Congregation Beth Jacob. It's a fascinating story about this. They had a, a campus, a Christian campus worshiping there. Uh, uh, for a, a, a while, and that Christian community moved its campus recently. And the executive director, they had such a great experience with that Christian church. Also, there's in its history that the synagogue had caught on fire many years ago, and a Christian church uh, helped provide a space for them to worship while they rebuilt it. And so there's, there's this collaborative spirit there. Uh, so when they lost the congregation, the executive director said he was driving out here and he saw our flags, which suggested that we were camping out here. 
And he said, new beginnings. He said, wow. He said, I wonder whether or not they would be interested in taking this space that's now been vacated. A week later, he gets a call from a fellow by the name of Pastor Dan Monroe, who says, I'm calling from New Beginnings Community Church, and we're looking for a facility. And the executive director just shouted out, this is God. Come on, come on, come on. Can we celebrate that? All right, let's take a tour. If you just drive up, to, as wonderful as this facility is, we're, this is an advancement as we make a transition. So you drive up to this facility. This is kind of what you see. There are stairs going down into a beautiful courtyard. Come on, show the next picture. That's the courtyard and uh, where we're going to have hospitality and connection points for people to kind of fellowship, talk, get to know, hang out. And then out of that goes into the lobby. That's the first shot of the lobby. Show the next shot. Another shot of the lobby. As we're moving through, it's an amazing facility. And then we move into the sanctuary. Check this out. Look at that. It's a gorgeous sanctuary. Show the other view of the sanctuary. Uh, it seats uh, uh, in its formal thing about 350. To, uh, we can put a few more rows, 400. But, but watch. Uh, uh, but, but show the back. You can move that wall back. As you see, that wall is back. And we can put up to 1,000 people there uh, inside of that. Come on, let's celebrate that. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Beautiful facility. Uh, that's the hallway to the 10 classrooms that they've committed to us. That's what the uh, classroom looks like with, uh, with, with uh, age-appropriate furniture. Uh, and then outside, you see the uh, slides and all that stuff. We had one of our staff members sliding down here, Celeste, the other day. So you can, <laughs> adults can slide as well. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, basketball courts, uh, isn't that amazing, all in the back, and then uh, picnic area, uh, all of these are places where, you know, you're not just coming to worship and then track it back home, places for you to connect and, and, and hang out and get to know folk. Uh, next, uh, and then there's a chapel that seats about 100 people that we're going to utilize for our high school ministry and other ministries. And then lastly, you've got this beautiful place which they've set aside for prayer and for meditation. Let's just give God a hand praise. This is, uh, this is where we're going. Praise God. This is where we're going. Uh, uh, we've calculated it's going to take a, a, a sizable number of us about an additional 15 minutes on average to get there as opposed to coming here. But I can guarantee you, and you can tell it just from this, it's going to be worth it. Don't you agree? Come on, it's going to be worth it. Praise the Lord. Uh, and while we, as we get settled there, we are looking for where the next campus is. And remarkably, simply because we kicked off this conversation, uh, uh, I mean, kicked off this search, uh, we've started to have some conversations really blow, has just blown our mind. I'll just tell you about one. Uh, uh, I was talking to Pastor Dick Bernal, uh, who is the obviously senior pastor of Jubilee Christian Church, and we were talking about what was going on. Uh, and he noted that they have uh, three facilities on their main campus, their regular auditorium, the administrative building, and then they have a kids building. And it's a 75,000 square foot facility has a sanctuary and it seats 800 people and it has these beautiful kids room. One thing led to another and out of his generosity, we are now, his, our teams from the two churches are now seeing can we negotiate uh, that facility becoming a permanent NBCC facility uh, as we move forward in the future. Can we celebrate that? Praise God. Which means we would lease it for five to ten years with the right to renew the lease uh, ongoingly and first also the option to purchase if it ever becomes available. Uh, so we don't know whether that's going to, uh, there's a lot of logistics that we've got to kind of work through. We're not sure it's going to actually happen at this moment. Uh, but if not, we're, we're looking, trying to figure out where we go uh, from there. But we, we do know that on August, the first weekend in August, God willing, we will be uh, in Redwood City. Come on, let's celebrate that. Praise God. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, now tell the person next to you, he, he's about to talk to you right now. Tell him. He's going to talk to you right now. <laughs> if 
If you come fairly regularly, meaning two, three times a month, and you just love just kind of slipping in, sitting on the pew, having some wonderful worship, uh, being blessed by the message, slipping out, uh, getting some donuts on your way out, making sure the kids are taken care of. Uh, uh, I want to challenge you that this is the time for you to take the next step. Shout next step. Next step. And that is that we need you to, 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 to sign up to serve. As we get ready to move, we want to bring our best game. And so we're going to need to really double and triple the number of volunteers that we have. Uh, because not only are we going to be inviting folks from uh, neighborhoods, a lot of us, we don't live in that area, but we work with people who live in that area. You're going to be inviting them. And so we want to bring our best game. So you don't have to be a member or a partner of this congregation in order to serve. If you've kind of claimed this as your home, I want to challenge you. Come on, tell the person. I think he's talking to you. Come on, tell him. Uh, you know, you, you, you ought to get your connection card right now. And where it says, where, where it says volunteer, you need to check. You can host. You can be a parking car person. You can... Uh, hospitality, you can be a greeter, you can serve in the children's ministry, you can help with setup. Now, here's why we want you to, to sign up now. Because we want you to get fully trained so that when we get to the first weekend in October, we can bring, out, we can bring our A-game. That's right. Praise God. Everybody shout A-game. All right. God, we thank you for what you're doing for NBCC and through NBCC. Wow. You chose us. Long before we didn't choose you, you chose us. And we thank you for that. Now bless the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. We start today a new series called Don't Panic. Shout it. Don't panic. Don't panic. I was teasing my staff and somebody said, I tell them what the series was. And they said, what's the first thing you think of when somebody tell you don't panic? And, and almost to, 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 the, to, the, to the cue, they said, panic, panic, panic. Uh, but this, this uh, series is about uh, overcoming anxiety in our lives. Can you shout anxiety? Anxiety. anxiety. And, and the acute form of anxiety is really the sense of panicking. And so what I want to argue the next, next five weeks is that you have a choice. You can choose to panic and be gripped by anxiety. Or you can make five different choices that if you practice, can help you to move through this time, uh, help you to move through, through seasons of anxiety. So I need you to just stay with us for the next several weeks uh, because you need to get every one of these insights uh, in order to be able to make that next step. Amen? Everybody standing on the reading of God's Word. Verse 3, Philippians 1. We're going to teach through the book of Philippians. Four chapters, five weeks that we're going to spend for these insights here. Let's start at verse 3. Paul is writing, I thank my God every time I remember you, he says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Shout amen. 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 Please be seated. God bless your teaching. Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's a big idea. That a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus will give you the resources that you need to overcome anxiety in your life. Now, to be clear, when I talk about overcoming anxiety, I'm not suggesting as though this is like a battle that you can win once and for all, and it's done. It's gone. It's not the case. But the tools are here, spiritually so, that for many of us, it's not simply I need to overcome anxiety for this week. For many of us, I just got to overcome anxiety two or three times to get through the day. And the tools are here to help you to win that battle repeatedly in order to get through the day. It's not that you can defeat anxiety, but you can work in such a way that it does not defeat you. So, all of us deal with anxiety in one form or the other. 
we're familiar with, especially in Silicon Valley. Even if you weren't anxious and you moved to Silicon Valley, you're starting to get anxious because it's just, this is anxiety territory, right? So, uh, uh, but there's a thousand different examples of how we deal with uh, anxiety. For example, if you're struggling with solving a problem on your job, that's, that's anxiety provoking. That's natural, that's common. Or if you are preparing to take an exam in school, that's anxiety provoking. That's natural, that's common. Or if you are preparing for a first date, that's anxiety provoking. That's natural, that's common. For some people, getting ready to go to the physician for your annual checkup or your annual exam, that's anxiety provoking. That's natural, that's common. We all have our stories about things that make us super anxious. Matter of fact, as I think about my own story, I'm reminded of uh, when I was in college, one of the things that made me super anxious uh, was when I would go to uh, the college parties. They would always be at Grammar State University. They would always be in the gymnasium. And I'm an extrovert, so I love to go. You walk into the gymnasium, boy, the music is popping, the lights flashing, it's packed with folk, man, folk. I mean, it's a great place. I just enjoy just being in an environment. The, what, what evoked anxiety for me is that at least at that point in my life, the reason that I went would ultimately go to the party is because at the end of the day, you go to the party so you could dance. And in my mind and in reality, I was one of the worst dancers on the planet. <laughs> so, so typically I would be talking perhaps to a, you know, to a young woman and she'll be waiting on me to ask her to dance, but I would never ask her to dance. I'm just talking because <laughs> I don't want to dance. <laughs> And, and inevitably, at some point, not all of them, some of them just happened to see me get out of their faces. But there were a few that would say, uh, after a while, they would say, you want to dance? And the moment they would say, you want to dance, I would be hit with anxiety. It would be as though everything starts, would, would, would shift to slow motion. It would be like she would say, do you want to dance? <laughs> <laughs> and I go out on the floor, you know, she started dancing, and I'm just like frozen, right? <laughs> but I learned, I learned a trick, uh, guys. If, uh, we may have some graduates in here. By the way, any graduates in here, just stand up. Anybody graduating this, this week, just stand up so I can see. Is there any graduates? Celebrate these graduates. God bless you. We're proud of you. Proud of you. So I got a trick. I learned a trick. That, listen, this trick moved me from being the worst dancer on the planet to being the best dancer in my mind. I promise. <laughs> I figured out that people, when they have these dances, they just, people just making them up. Right? Because, you know, there's no scientific, you do the electric slide, you know, you know, you, you, that, 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 there's no scientific rule to the electric slide. Somebody just made that up. So what I figured out is you can make up anything as long as you stay on beat. <laughs> so, you know, you can do the swimming. <laughs> just stay on beat, baby. Just stay on beat. <laughs> What kind of dance is that? That's a swimming one. That's a swimming one. <laughs> 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 Everybody shout anxiety. <laughs> if my wife was here, she would probably say, the problem is that the beat that I hear is not the same beat that everybody else hears. <laughs> So, you know, we're all familiar with anxiety. You all got a story like that, right? The problem is, is when anxiety as an incidental becomes more of a norm, that it, it begins to grow to the point that scientists will refer to them as anxiety disorders. As a matter of fact, I saw a statistic uh, that uh, our team found for me that says, that 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety disorders. 
And I actually think it's probably twice that number, but the other half are just too anxious to report it. <laughs> so so let, let me give you some examples so you can see whether or not you, you fit in this. You know, there are the, the social uh, anxiety of this artist. This is the person who uh, is very difficult for them to show up in crowds. Uh, and they, they freeze up when they get ready to talk to some people publicly. If they get ready to do something like I'm doing. Or just talk to other people publicly. They just completely freeze up. They have to exit the room. Because they are predicting that people are judging them. That they're going to be embarrassed. That they're going to fail. That they're going to be rejected. Uh, and so we, we call those social uh, anxiety disorders. And then, of course, there's a, a PTSD. A post-traumatic syndrome. Where... Something horrible or tragic has happened. And as a result of that, there are certain places you can't go, certain activities you can't participate in, certain nightmares that you continue to have because it's, it's connected to that particular drama, uh, trauma. And then there's OCD, uh, you know, uh, 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 where, where you're so obsessed and compulsive about getting all the details right that you'll spend hours upon hours upon hours. That's anxiety-driven. And then there's uh, what we refer to as, as phobias, right? Is anybody here who's afraid of mice, who's afraid of rats, right? Uh, in my case, I'm afraid of elevators, uh, essentially. Now, I will ride an elevator, but when I get on the elevator, I'm, I'm always talking to the elevator and talking to me. I have a conversation. <laughs> and so I'm standing on the elevator. Now, especially when the elevator doors close slowly. I'm asking, why is this taking so long for the door to close? Is it possible that there's something wrong with the doors? And is it, you know, they've been working 10,000 times a day, but is this the 10,001 time that it's actually broken and when it shows, it's not going to open again? Yeah, anxiety. Shout anxiety. Yeah, phobias, right? And then there's panic attacks where... Where you, you find yourself in a situation where you become lightheaded, butterflies in the stomach, uh, blood is, is, is rushing to your muscles, and uh, you feel this, this need to, to, to kind of fight flight type feeling. You feel like you're going you're gonna to faint, etc. Panic attacks. I, I, I use it, I end it with panic attacks because I really do think that that's a good metaphor in general for how... Uh, Anxiety can overtake our lives. And in many instances, we're not even aware of anxiety. I'll give you, give you an example. I, I met with a couple several months ago. And it's a wonderful couple. They're partners here at NBCC. Love God. And they were sharing with me how they, they had high drama in their marriage. And they were just fighting day and night. Didn't think they were going to make it. Wisely, they chose to go to get a therapist and a counselor to begin to help them in the process, do some stuff. And the counselor recognized anxiety patterns in the wife, prescribed some medication. And the wife said that she was completely shocked. Within about three or four weeks, the drama had dropped by 40% in the house. Well, why was that? Well, what was happening was that anxiety causes us to take small things and blow them up. As we begin to worry about them and they feel like, you know, this is the person who, you know, whose child is in the fifth grade and they brought home a B minus. And you're thinking about my, that's the precise grade that's going to keep them from getting into Harvard and, 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 and Yale. I mean, it's just small things. And we kind of blow them up. So it is a good reminder that for some of us, we really do need to go to the doctor and say, hey, doc. Uh, you know, I've got this anxiety challenge and I may need some medication and, and that that's perfectly okay. Now, of course, some of you are thinking, but I have anxiety about medication. But, but I want to challenge you to push through that anxiety. Now, that's why this particular passage, this book, Philippians, is so fascinating. Because if there's anybody who understands Living with and overcoming anxiety, it's the Apostle Paul. First of all, let's look at his original context. He's writing to the church in Philippi, which is the exact church that Pastor Tildenfin is preaching about, teaching about on last weekend. Which, by the way, he did an, didn't he do an awesome job? Can we celebrate Pastor Tildenfin? 
God's transformation is for everyone, which was an amazing point. He talked about Lydia, who represented the religious. He talked about the slave girl that represented the oppressed. He talked about the jailer that represented the seculars. And, and all of those folk came into a, 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 a transformed relationship with Jesus. And they all helped to give birth to the church in Philippi. And one amazing thing about the book of Acts is it kind of gives you an overview of the evolution of the church during its early days. And then the epistles are the letters that are written like Romans and 1 Corinthians and Philippians, etc. These are written by the apostles who are writing back to these churches like Philippi and instructing them and helping them to grow. So Paul is now writing back to this church that he helped to establish. Mainly to say thank you for the generosity that they sent to help him. Well, why would he need help? Here's his anxiety-provoking context. Paul is in prison. He's on a house arrest. He's been on a house arrest for ultimately two years. This means in his context that he is chained to a soldier, a Roman soldier, and every six hours they change shifts. 24 hours a day he's chained to a Roman soldier on the house arrest for two years Nero the emperor may decide to kill him or may decide to let him go so he's uncertain about his future can somebody shout anxiety and then talking about trauma in his own life well second corinthians uh chapter 11 verse 24 and 25 he kind of lays out and this is all trauma what you what you're watching here he kind of lays out in, the, in these two verses some of his life experiences he talks about how he's he was whipped uh, on five different occasions, given 39 lashes uh, uh, by folk from his community. He talked about how on three different occasions he was beaten with rods. He talked about how on one occasion he was stoned and left for dead. He talks about on another. Can you see the trauma in all this stuff, guys? I mean, this is trauma. This is PTSD straight out of the, out of the book. Uh, on another case, he's talking about how he was shipwrecked on three different occasions. And then once, one time, he, got, he was lost at sea for a full day and night, not knowing that anyone would ever find him. So take all of that trauma and then pour it inside of an imprisonment that's going to last for two years where he is literally chained to a soldier and what you get is a formula for anxiety. Just like you. Just like me. And guess what's fascinating as Paul writes this letter from this anxiety-provoking context is, number one, he never mentions, this is just a tidbit here, he never mentions the word sin one time in, in the book, the letter full of Philippians. That's just unique for Paul. But number two, with all this anxiety, Paul talks about, for, Paul mentions on 16 separate occasions in four books, in four chapters, joy or rejoicing. In four chapters, he talks 16 different times about being full of joy or rejoicing. How is it that a person has so much anxiety around him could be so joyful? That's why I think this book is contained, each chapter is contained with at least one insight that if we can digest it and internalize it will help us to begin to overcome the anxiety that we face on a day-to-day -day situation. Because I think he faced anxiety, I think, but, 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 but what I'm going to share with you, these insights helped him to overcome his anxiety throughout each day and over the course of his life. Come on, shout anxiety. All right, so what's the first insight? Here's the first insight. If you're going to be, if Paul was here, here's what he would say. He would say that he learned how to deal with his anxiety by developing the discipline of trusting God. Shout discipline. He developed the discipline of trusting God. It's a discipline. It's something that you have to actually practice. 
And the first step in developing the discipline of trusting God is what Paul would say for him, the first step was for him to entrust his life to God and God's purpose. Tell the person next to you, give your life to God and God's purposes. Now, we see it in the letter, verse 3. Here's how he starts off. He says, every time, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says, in all my prayers I'm all, uh, and, and how I pray for all of you, I am always, my, my prayer is always filled with joy. So that's that glad heartness. Why is your prayer filled with joy, Paul? He says, and for them, because, because of your partnership. Everybody shout partnership. In the gospel from the first day until now. All right? Partnership, partnership, partnership. The Greek word beneath the word partnership is a word that we call koinonia. Come on, everybody say koinonia. The word simply means a mutual commitment, mutual dependability. Mutual accountability, a kind of I need you, you need me, that's a cornelia bond. Now, one of the reasons why we don't have, we don't use the term membership here, but we use partnership is because we, we take it from this scripture right here, and it's because in today's world, membership is kind of like, it has the meaning like, you know, I'm a Costco member. Anybody here members of Costco? All right, that's all right. You get the idea. All right. so, so when I go to Costco as a member, I'm only thinking about one. I'm thinking, this is how I'm thinking. Is the TV over there for sale? Is it a good deal on there? Or the pizza, what, $12? I like the pizza. I'm going to do the pizza right there. Right, right. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what's a deal that I can have. I'm, why? Because I'm a member. Right. So it's, it's, I never go to Costco thinking, maybe I should get there early enough to help open up the store. Any of y'all do that? I, I don't want to do that. I, I, when I get there, I never start thinking like, maybe I should go help them bake the pizza. Or uh, like, maybe I should go help the guys stock, the guys and girls stock the aisles, you know, because a lot of people come and they can use a little extra hand. Why don't I just go do that? Because, you know, after all, I'm a member. No, I don't think like that. <laughs> That's somebody else. So here, when we think about membership versus partnership, we, 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 we say that you're ready to be a partner when you're ready to say, you know what? I don't just want to show up to worship. I don't just want to show up to have some good donuts after worship is over. I don't just want to show up so I can have somebody to pray for me because I'm going through some... Yes, I want all of that, but, but, but I want to come into mutual accountability. I want to be a part of what God is doing and not simply the target of what God is doing. So, 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 so yes, let me help set up on Sunday morning, open up the store. Yes, let me help stack the aisles. Come on, I'll, be a, I'll, I'll help with hospitality. I'll park a few cars or whatever the case is I want to be a part as we get ready to move to Redwood City we're we're depending on those of you who share a cornelia bond with us shout cornelia that's what Paul is saying he said look you guys in Philippi you gave you entrusted your life to God and because of that you're paying a high price because you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to uh, represent anybody higher than then the emperor Neo, Nero, and you're saying that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords, and we're in partnership in sharing the gospel because I'm here in Rome, and despite being in prison, I'm still declaring that Jesus Christ and his extraordinary love, that he remains king of kings and lords of lords, and, 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 and we, we have a cornonia bond. We're in partnership in this ministry. And none of us are perfect. So you entrust yourself. You want to you, you figure out how to deal with anxiety? Regularly throughout the day, remind yourself that you belong to God. Then take a deep breath. Because he's got the last word. Secondly, I'm talking about developing the discipline of trusting God. You should regularly remember 
the beginning. Here's where it is in the text. Here's what Paul says. You know, I'm excited because of your partnership. He says, then uh, verse 6 starts off with this. He says, ultimately, because being confident. Everybody shout confident. All right, now here's the secret word here in this chapter. You'll see confident right there in verse 6. I'm confident that he who began a good work will. You'll see confident in verse 14. Where he says, because of the work that, 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 that has happened through me, brothers and sisters are growing in their confidence in the Lord. You'll see that word again. The Greek actual word in verse 25, it's not translated as confidence, it's translated as convinced. He says, I don't know whether to go be with the Lord or whether to continue to serve you. Both are exciting options. And he says, ultimately, I'm going to conclude uh, in, in verse 25. He says, but I'm convinced, everybody shout convinced, that I should stay here and serve you and you'll be the fruit of my labor. Now, the Greek word that's translated confidence is also translated convinced, is also translated persuaded, and is also translated trusting. And so when he says... Verse 6, I am being confident of this, that he who began, see the word began? He who began, remember the beginning, he who began a good work in you will, if God started it, he will what? It's not on you, it's on God. So I wasn't stressed out when I told y'all that when I got the word that we needed a transition, I didn't get stressed out. You know why? Because I remember the beginning. And I remember that God initiated this work called New Beginnings. I remember the 1,800 people who showed up at Jubilee to hear the vision the first time that we cast it for this kind of ministry. And folks signed up and said, I want to be a part of it. I remember uh, having people to pray about what do we call it? What's the name? God, what do you want us to name this new ministry? And my wife, as is kind of customary for her, had put some plants out on the ledge that she was trying to grow. And as I said, it's kind of customary for her. They kind of died. And uh, <laughs> so she came in to me one day. She said, Herman, I'm just so frustrated. You know, I really put this plant out. I watered it. I did everything I was supposed to do. I put it in the right place. Just put it in the sun. And look at it. It's just died. It's just dead. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go. I'm going to clean it out and put in a new plant. So the next day came, and she went out to get it to clean, it, clean out the pot, and the plant had come back to life. And she said she heard the Lord whisper in her ear, new beginnings. And so she shared that with me, and there was immediate uh, resonance there. And when I shared it with our people, we all agreed. And so uh, uh, the, the name of this church I, just ultimately came from God. He raised us up. He named it new beginnings. So therefore, when I think about the fact that God started this church, Come on now, named it, authorized it, empowered it. Then I'm not worried about whether or not God can find a facility for it. I'm not worried whether or not God can expand it. Because at the end of the day, if he started it, come on now, he can complete it. So when you start getting stressed and you think about what God has started in your life, and if you're sure that God has started it, then just say, God, I, I, I remember, I know you started it. Take a deep breath and breathe. Because God, unlike us, God finishes what God starts. Now, here's what I really like about this fact. Watch this. He says three things about God. He says... I'm confident, I'm trusting that he who began, who started, watch this, will carry it. Come on, shout carry it. It says, will carry it to completion. That means that God does the heavy lifting with his purposes in your life. That your job is to show up and be accounted for. Herman Hamilton present, showing up for duty. But always know that the heaviest of the lifting, God is the one doing it. He, he will carry it to completion. The problem is that it's never a straight line. I'm going to tell y'all something that none of the other two gatherings got. It's because y'all here at 12. Tell the person, I'm sure I'm glad I came to 12. Tell somebody. 
The problem is, you got this here. That's where God starts. You got this here. That's where this ends. The problem is that what we want God to do is to go in a straight line. But God kind of acts like he's got attention deficit disorder. Because, you know, because God go down here, over here, back over here, back over here, back here. Come on, you see what I'm saying? So he doesn't go in a straight line. But he knows exactly what he's doing. If he started it, he'll carry it. And what? He'll complete it. So remember the beginning. All right, here's the last point. As we're just getting you queued up here. Entrust your life to God and his purposes. Two, remember the beginning. God initiated. God starts his purpose in your life. You just have to say yes to it. And thirdly, remember this, trust God's providence. Everybody shout providence. It's a fancy theological word. Let me just tell you what it means. Trust that God can have God's way no matter the circumstance. That God has already figured out how to work that there's no circumstance that can block God from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. All right, let me prove it from the text. Go back, go down to verse 12. Watch how Paul talks about it, starting in verse 12 of the chapter. Here he says, he says, now, I want you to know, he's writing to the church in Philippi, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, everybody say, what has happened to me? If you're taking notes, write that down. That's an important point that he's saying. What has happened to me? All right. Watch this. Tragedy. What has happened to me? Trouble. What has happened to me? Trial. Watch what he says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, him being imprisoned and chained to a Roman soldier, losing what feels like two years of his life, what has happened to me, he writes. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually, watch it, what? Served to advance the gospel. Here's his point. God can take a tragic, troubled, trial circumstance and cause that circumstance watch it to serve his purpose he doesn't make it happen but he can show up in the middle of it I learned a new word the other day go change out my daughter's phone you change out one phone AT&T they deactivate the phone everybody say deactivate in order for them to activate a new phone. The problem is that when we run into tragedy and trouble and trial, we think that God has deactivated the purpose that he started. But God never deactivates his purpose. He just figures out how to use, come on now, the tragedy to serve his purpose. Read the next verse. What's the next verse? Watch this. All right. As a result, shout as a result. As a result. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. That's about a thousand soldiers at this particular place. Some of the best soldiers in the Roman army. And to everyone else that I'm in chains, I'm in prison, uh, I'm, 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 I'm locked up here for Christ. Now, here's what he means. Watch this. Every six hours, they would chain a soldier to Paul. Nero thought, I got him. I've chained this soldier to Paul. What he didn't know was that Paul had the soldier. And for six hours, Paul poured into that soldier's life. Come on now. About who Jesus was, about the grace of God, about the mercy of God. And when they changed shift, Paul got another one. And for six hours, he just poured into the life and stretched over 12 months and two years. Come on now. Hundreds of soldiers begin to confess the 
power and the love of Jesus Christ. And so now he writes the whole palace God and everyone else knows that I'm here in change. They know that I'm sold out for Jesus and they know who he is. Isn't that amazing? All right, all right. Here's where I'll lock it up on this one. All right, all right. Next verse. Watch this next verse. Y'all get me excited. I'm going to start dancing in a minute. I'm doing the rowboat. Okay. And because. Everybody say because. Because of my chains. Result. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident have started to trust in the Lord to the point that they even more so are proclaiming the gospel without fear. The Greek word for fear is phobos, from which we get the word phobia. Because I'm in these chains. And how God is using the circumstances. Other believers are breaking free of their anxiety. And beginning to proclaim the purposes and the power of God in Jesus Christ. All right, here's how I'll bring it home. Everybody say tragedy. Say trouble. Say trial. I promise you, I know you can't read it, but that's what it is. Watch this. Redeem, redeems it. Come on. Everybody say, God redeems it. Ah, none of these markers are working. If they were, you could understand it better. <laughs> and that leads to impact. And to go back to last week's transformation. All right. Illustrate, Herman. When I went home last weekend, I spoke at a, a baccalaureate, a, a graduate worship service for the graduates. The young woman who introduced me, Cherie, I, I'd never, I didn't know her. But in her introduction, she moved me to tears. She told the story. She said, four years earlier, when she was a freshman, they got the word that this speaker had come and they were going to have an assembly for the speaker at the local high school, Cushada, to speak to them. And her and her friends were bummed out. They were going to have to go hear this boring speaker. And, 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 and they were, if, 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 in as much as they knew the prayers, like, please help this thing to get over early so we can get out. She just shared that. When they got into the assembly, the speaker was me. And she said that as I started to talk, now let me tell you what I said. I remember it when she told me four years ago. I started off by telling them about my tragedy and about my trouble. I told them about how my dad disowned me, about how, say, in the hospital a year. I told them about how I got scarred. I told them about how I ended up in Cushada. And I told them because I had so much trouble in me, I stayed in trouble. But because it was my story, I could also talk about the transformation. And so I, I, I talked about how God redeemed it. Y'all ain't listening to me, did it? <laughs> how he turned, he took a boy that was scarred and turned him into the man that I am. And, 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 when, and, and she said that when the kids left, her and her friends left, she said they were totally changed. And she said, I didn't, I didn't know. She said she kept up with me over the years. And Charlene is, is my sister. Uh, and her and her husband, I stay with them. And their daughters are my niece. And she is good friends with one of the niece. So she would go over to Charlene's house. And she would hear the nieces talking about their uncle. And so on one occasion, she said, can, can your uncle Herman be my uncle Herman? And so when she introduced me on Sunday... She said, I'm happy to introduce to you my Uncle Herman. Now, now celebrate that. That's All right. Here's the point. 
I called home and told Rhonda. I was so moved. I called home and told Rhonda. And she said, wow, babe. She says, your story is still changing lives. Here's the point. Paul says, God didn't make the tragedy happen. Didn't send the trial. Is not the author of the trouble. Paul says, I've been shipwrecked three times. Come on now, I've, I've been beaten five times with a whip, beaten three times with a rod. So Paul is realistic. See, part of what gets us in trouble with anxiety is that we anticipate it's not the past it's what we anticipate about the future and we anticipate that the future is going to have a dismal end and we get anxious about it if we in fact knew that the future was going to be have an exciting end come on now we wouldn't be as anxious about it right and, and what Paul says is I know there's evil in the world I've been a victim of evil in the world. I suspect there will be evil that I will confront going forward. I suspect tragedy will happen and trouble will happen and all of that. But what Paul says at the end of the day, uh, but, the, but the God that I serve is a God who's able to meet me in my trouble and to meet me in my tragedy and to cause that trouble, that tragedy to work, to serve a greater purpose so he took a scarred boy's story and he turned it around and liberated young high school students that's the God you and I serve in Jesus Christ so here's how it helps my anxiety if I know I belong to him if I remember that he's the one who started his purpose in me and that it doesn't matter what I run into. He going to have the last word. When I remember it. Come on now. I just take a deep breath. And breathe. Give God a hand praise. 